0: Hey, Friday Night Lights fans, it's not only football, Friday Night Lights and beyond is an episode by episode discussion of the hit TV series Friday Night Lights, hosted by yours truly Scott Porter, who played Jason Street on the show, and my two wonderful co-hosts, me, Zach Guilford, a.k.a. Matt Saracen, and me, Mae Whitman, a.k.a. someone who wasn't on the show but really, really loves it a lot. We will also bring on some special guests, answer your questions, and tell you about what's going on in our lives today. It's not only football. Friday Night Lights and Beyond is available now wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Clear eyes. Full hearts. Can't lose. I've mentioned repeatedly that uh, the health insurance doesn't always cover the full cost of an emergency flight. Even with comprehensive coverage, you can still get hit with substantial deductibles and co-pays. Protect your family. Protect your finances with an Air MedCare Network membership. As a member, if an emergency arises, the expense of an air medical transport is completely covered when flown by an AMCN provider. Membership costs as little as eighty-five dollars a year and covers your entire household every day, even when you're away from home. Of course, that is just pennies a day. We all know that the unexpected can happen, and AMCN membership is protection no family should be without. And for a limited time, as a Doctor Drew podcast listener, you'll get up to a seventy-five dollar e-gift card when you join simply visit airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash Drew and use that offer code, Drew. Thanks for listening to the Dr. Drew Podcast on Podcast One. I'm Dave Detman, also known as Dr. Get. I've got a new podcast called The Big Idea. And every week I talk to inventors and visionaries who made it big in their respective industries. We'll tackle weekly trending tech provide inside tips for your success, and go deep dives on the latest and greatest innovations. And I know you're going to love this part. I'll also have plenty of free giveaways. Who doesn't love free stuff? So listen to and follow The Big Idea with me, Dr. Gadget, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast One, and wherever you get your podcasts folks at Optimizers have done it again. They've released their new and improved formula for magnesium breakthrough. The product was already great, but Optimizers has continued to research and improve it. This new fourth-generation formula means magnesium breakthrough is more potent and effective hopefully improving sleep, reducing stress. If you've been taking Magnesium Breakthrough, you may want to try the new formula as soon as you can. It includes cofactors like B6 and manganese to help with the absorption of the magnesium. And if you've never tried Magnesium Breakthrough before, now is a perfect time. Magnesium is involved in 80% of the body's metabolic reactions. Yep, I had a fellow, an endocrine fellow back in the day that always beat on me about the importance of magnesium. And about 75% of people are not getting enough. It's a bigger problem than most people think when you don't get enough magnesium. You can have significant effects when you don't get enough magnesium. In every bottle of Magnesium Breakthrough, you will get seven unique forms of organic full-spectrum magnesium, which can dramatically help. It can help you sleep longer and deeper, reduce stress, hopefully, and... Hopefully, thereby give you all-day energy, and it may help you feel like yourself again. Simply take two capsules before you go to bed. You will be amazed, and hopefully you'll wake up more rested. For an exclusive offer for our listeners, go to magbreakthrough.com and use Dr. Do 10 during checkout to save 10%. And if you want your loved ones to have the same benefits, giving the gift of magnesium breakthrough for Mother's Day, Father's Day, or even a spring birthday, consider it. Again, that link, magbreakthrough.com slash drew, and use code drdrew 10 Doctor Drew 10 during checkout to save 10%. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Dr. Drew Podcast. We appreciate you being here. We appreciate you supporting the people that support us, and uh, as I always try to remind you, Find me at uh, Instagram, Dr. Drew Pinsky, uh, TikTok, uh, Dr. Drew, D-R-D-R-E-W, and uh, do check out our streaming show, drdrew.tv. You can see it Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, most week, 3 o'clock Pacific time. Uh, you can call into that show via Clubhouse, uh, and you can be on the restream there in the chat, and I'll, I'll see you. Uh, we tend to do a lot of interactive stuff there. All right. Today, it's my friend Art Kleinschmidt. The organization is Recovery for America, recoveryforamerica.org. Uh Dr. What should we call you?
1: Dr. Are you doctor yet? Well no. I am. A PhD,
0: Dr. Okay, Dr. Doctor Kleinschmidt you- was a uh, senior advisor at Domestic Policy Council, also senior advisor at White House Office of National Drug Control Policy. What that translates uh, into is that he was the assistant drug czar, he was right under the drug czar. And I thought he was going to move into that position. And uh, unfortunately that didn't happen. And it would have been an amazing thing had you done so. Uh, Art himself is uh, sober for on the order of 20 years, and we'll talk about that. Welcome.
1: Hey, Dr. Drew. Happy to be here. First this thing to talk awesome. about
0: is Recovery for America, uh, which I'm on the board of. I'm full, right. fully involved with I, yeah. you and your wonderful wife, who is a one of the most successful drug court judges that I've ever come across. Uh, this is something you guys set up. Tell us about
1: it. Well, it is. She was uh, uh my wife and I are both in recovery, but, um, so this is a passion project that we made together. Uh, we have an excellent board. We have yourself. We have Randy Grimes. We have, uh, other people, uh, that served in high levels of the, uh, uh, uh presidential administration as well. Um, we have corporate people. Um, and Randy Grimes, you just interviewed the other week. I
0: did. He's a really interesting dude. Right. He had a hell of a story. Yeah, he does. Yeah, <laughs> he
1: does. So we're very happy to have him on board. Uh, we have Camille Shire, a former Miss America as well. Uh, I'm very excited about her work. Uh, she's a, a great addiction advocate out there. Um, so yeah, yeah, really well. So it's a passion project that we uh, tried to bypass a lot of the hurdles and obstacles from One person in need to actually get themselves to treatment. So Mm -hmm. we're trying to work and build treatment scholarships for those in need. Uh,
0: And so would it be something where a family is searching for treatment for a loved one and you'd come to Recovery for America and apply? How would that work?
1: Well, we're going to actually, we're going to, well, exactly. I got a a case that already sort of happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lady contacted me, a good friend of my sister uh, and their nephew needed help, and right yeah. now he's on Medicaid. So we're working to get him into treatment. And do, uh,
0: do we have, do we have certain centers we're working with? Yeah,
1: is- right now we do have certain centers. So we're not going to give the money to the client or that. We're going to work with the center to mm-hmm. get the guy in, on board into treatment. And is
0: the plan to have regional centers all over the place? And
1: it is. We're we're trying to go, go nationwide with this. Yeah. Um, do we have
0: specific centers right now?
1: We do. We have a, a couple that we're working with. That's why you know we have Randy on our board as well, and then I got contacts. Uh, uh, in the treatment world, I know, a, a, you know quite a few interventionists uh, uh, are actually sober people that went to the treatment center that I work that are out there getting people into treatment as well. So if you
0: need a interventionist, we're going to provide that too?
1: Well, I don't know if we can provide that, but they could actually – We're refer uh, that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, like assist or get somebody from point A to point B is actually yeah. sort of the thing. And what we're trying to do uh, is bypass a lot of the obstacles that are actually uh, – in place right now and try to get go right to the people and get them the treatment that they need.
0: Yes, so many of the obstacles in this state, and I suspect not so much in New York, but there too, the laws prevent you from doing anything. You can't go from point A to point B. You're breaking the law if you try to help somebody. It's crazy.
1: Well, that's kind of where, you know, uh, the stuff that I'm trying to overcome right now is try to get people you know, from that and try to bypass a lot of the unnecessary barriers that are in place. Oh, my God, you know? they're unbelievable. Yeah, they really are. Uh, um, yeah, it's it's almost sort of profound. They talk about the people need treatment, they need help, but then all of a sudden then, then they're actually making it so complicated to get somebody there. Like when I was in the federal government, you know, I, uh, I was trying to pitch the IMD exclusion. We'll uh, talk about that. Uh, well, when you look at – you look at Medicaid and Medicare; it's within a. They call it CMS. Uh, you know the Center for Medicaid and Medicare. Uh, um, but when you look like at a Medicaid for to get somebody into substance abuse treatment, every state has a different system, and then they have uh, certain waivers that they do. And then if you're looking within the, the CMS system, it's almost like a foreign language unto itself. Yes. Uh, and so I, I, I was. Telling people it's almost ludicrous to think somebody with a, a mental health disorder could somebody, handle this. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 like, yeah. it's not going to happen. So,
0: so IMD exclusion came from the early days of the Medicare policy. Uh, I think it was under President Johnson that he put in the IMD okay. exclusion in okay. place. I thought it
1: was Nixon. No, maybe it was Johnson. I don't know. Could have been Johnson. It does, but way back in the in the sixties. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So,
0: yeah. It couldn't have been Nixon yet. Uh, though Nixon, I'm sure had.
1: Uh, Well, he uh, he supported it, I guess. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah.
0: Um, But the bottom line is that Medicare, for whatever weird reason, would not support institutions for mental disorders, the IMD. Right. IMD was excluded from Medicare coverage, which is insane. (laughs) And and the reason that that I understand that they did that is that this Constitution specifically, and this has been discussed since President Pierce. The Constitution specifically doesn't allow for treatment of mental illness, and therefore the states have to pick that up. And unfortunately, that was the state hospital system that was so vilified by the post-structuralists who are now in charge of everything. Right? Guys like uh, Foucault felt that there was no such thing as mental illness, that it was caused by institutions, which could not be more fucking wrong. Right? Uh, Then we had the National Institute of Mental Health, with the three first directors of the National Mental Health had a similar outlook and none of them had ever treated mental illness. And so it's just, of course, things got completely dismantled and screwed up. And now we're still living in a time when people with serious mental illness can't get care.
1: It's no. And, it, and if you look at them, I, I I think their statistics are a little bit fudged. I, I believe most of them have. But it's going to you look at, the, like, the homeless here. That's going to be a very complicated uh, patient to treat, right? Yes. Y- y- you know what I mean? And the longer they stay out there, the longer they're the using, worse they get. the worse they get. Yeah,
0: but you first have to g- understand that they're using. You, think, <laughs> you have to first have to say that their opiates and meth are just rampant on the streets. Right. And, you know, then the people want to sit around and talk about, well, you'd use, too, if you were on the streets. I don't give a shit. We have, to, we have a drug problem. We have to treat that. I don't care how it happened. We have to treat it. You know what I mean? They, right. They, they went, oh, if, uh, because of they're doing it because they're on the streets. Therefore, if you put them in a house, the, the drug addiction will go away. No. It no. doesn't matter why you're doing drugs. Now you have drug addiction. Now that needs to be treated. Period. Yeah, uh,
1: definitely. I, I mean, I, I equate this for some people uh, to try to understand a little bit, even if they're not homeless. But like when I worked at, I worked at a long-term uh, uh, treatment center for very uh, seriously multiple overdose sort of clients and stuff. So we had like a continuum of care there. But uh, like, if they could, one of them was, like, graduating, say, uh, from treatment, if they could get a parent to give them, or especially with divorced parents, one of them wants to be the nice guy, and get them an <laughs> apartment and not make them go to the uh, sober house, or yep, recovery house. Yep. We almost always, always had, like, a new crack house in the neighborhood. Oh, of course. A, a new shooting gallery in the neighborhood that you actually have to go and intervene on.
0: Yeah, we call that enabling.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah. And so it's the same sort of thing with, like, this policy that you're talking about, the housing first. Oh, my God. You, all you're doing is creating that sort of the problem you're, you're actually metastasizing the problem,
0: but but then people go well they, they're living their best life, they're doing whatever they want to do. who are you to say
1: okay okay so uh h- here's the thing, and I get this a lot from like the libertarian sect like mm-hmm. the, I don't put down on Cato, but I see some of the stuff that they're writing mm-hmm. so uh and I kind of change for ph- phraseology to maybe help people i I kind of say the opposite of addiction is freedom mm-hmm. right uh so when you look at drug addiction uh, and that sort of a thing, it doesn't breed a laissez-faire lifestyle, no, right? Right? No, no. And it, there seems to be some no. thoughts that it breeds some sort of liberty in laissez-faire lifestyle. No, no. And then actually, what they're doing is they're creating dependence. Yep, cool. And then when you look at you creating dependence at the parent level, you're gonna that's gonna start coming down generationally, mm-hmm. and the kids are gonna be impacted by that, and then they're gonna be like that, and then it starts to kind of metastasize a problem that they say they're against. So,
0: so, so let's let's say that you're going to, the, the so-called uh, you know, the they're living the life they want to lead uh, except the problem is our prohibitions and therefore they have to steal to maintain their habit and that's the problem. So let's say we give somebody, for the sake of argument, we give them heroin. We safely administer heroin to them. Which by the way, I, I don't object to that. I don't care. I, I, I have no philosophical objection to that. Um, but But I know how that goes, and you know how that goes because we've been working with drug addicts for years and years and years. And people that advocate for, say, heroin-safe administration um, have not. (laughs) They've not been around it. And the biggest problem – so my thing is, fine, give them the heroin, administer it safely, have the overdose, have the naltrexone handy, all that stuff, good. But you better do something with their disease because the piece that everyone misses – and I'm all for – Medically-assisted treatment provided that people understand when they're administering that, that administering a substance to individuals with the disorder of addiction is committing them to progression of the disease, and people leave out progression. They don't seem to understand this is a progressive disease. They want to believe that the social aspects are progressing rather than the neurological parts are project- progressing. And so when you continue to administer something to somebody that is of an addictive chemical, you will still have progression. And so you're, you're committing somebody to a progressive illness. I don't understand how to deal with that except to say, please, if you're going to do safe administration, work on motivational enhancement and work on getting people into a more definitive level of care
1: uh well when you what you just said is exactly right uh, about the uh progression i i don't think they under uh understand that aspect of the disease they leave it out
0: they leave it out they it's a total massive denial about that like i mean, think about it if you were just going to administer heroin oh we're done now we're done which if it were not a progressive disease yeah, you would be done. You'd be committing that person to a chronic state, the pr- imprisonment. But, but okay, uh, but you're not. You're committing them to the to the electric chair. They're going downhill progressively over the next few years that you administer.
1: Well, well, like I, sometimes I want to try to say there's clinical reality, and then there's their evidence, yes, right? Yeah, uh, they, they're not the same thing. Yes. Uh, and, and every time somebody sort of shoots dope or something like that, they're going further and deeper down in their disease. And so when somebody needs to be Narcaned at one of those facilities, when somebody overdosed that the logic is okay i better not do that anymore right i almost died Shh, i need to stop that yeah but actually when they come out of an overdose and they state in that they're actually deeper in their disease yeah. than they were prior yeah. to yeah those and keep going they yeah keep yeah right it, it doesn't uh, that doesn't stop yeah
0: but it's not like overdoses happen once that once they start happening they start happening more and more and more frequently
1: right yeah. uh and so like i it, to kind of back up so we 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 posted a picture. Uh, it happened to be like a white gentleman uh, with a mask on helping uh, look like maybe an African-American individual shoot dope. And mm-hmm. so we kind of put that on. Is this enabling or helping? And then sure enough. I mean, we got comments after comments after comments. It People kind of went, it kind of, yeah. Uh, and they all were saying helping. And then somebody actually posted a comment that stayed with me. And then they said, I don't know how many, I don't want to go into weeds, but like the stages have changed. So there's uh, pre-contemplate, pre-contemplation, they're still using, contemplating, maybe I need to do something with my life better than this. And then maybe there's a planning. And so uh, after you plan, then you get into the action phase, and then you get into uh, recovery. And then maintenance. Right. So then they said, uh, and, and she got like a thousand high-fives for this, that the first three steps happen before treatment. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, uh, this person's never been in treatment. they probably never yeah. seen a treatment center. They show up in pre-contemplation all the time. It, but, to,
0: but by the way, but you can enhance that. That's called motivational enhancement. Right. So if they're doing motivational enhancement while administering the heroin, that's helping. That is helping. I, I, I don't I don't object to that. But just administering the heroin is not helping. It's well,
1: Well, they say that uh, they're doing that. I I just – They I say have they're a, doing
0: motivational enhancement? It's they, hard to do while you're loaded. Well, I was just about to say. It's, <laughs> it's almost
1: – yeah, that's it's actually – It's hard what, to do. I, I was yeah, just but, about
0: but maybe we can develop something. I don't know. But it's hard to do.
1: Once they start getting high, the game is over. And then they start saying they're doing it sort of safer and all this stuff. Yeah. He, here's the part that they're also sort of missing is uh, – I'm sorry – people would still be using it they could use without consequences. Uh, if they could kind of just stay, uh, you know, like high in a 24-state, it would be very hard to motivate somebody to do something else.
0: Hard but not impossible. I mean, I'll tell you where they've had results with that. I've, I've not seen data in terms okay. of evidence. I've not right, seen right, evidence right. that it works in heroin. But there is evidence that works with alcohol. So there, there are houses where you can go and drink The, all wet, house. Yeah, the, the wet, wet house, house. Yeah, the wet house. And those are motivational enhancement environments, and they do work. They do work, and they primarily work by establishing rapport. It's not even motivational enhancement so much as attachment. They, they, they develop rapport with the staff, and then the staff starts working with them. And it works. I don't know that you can get that kind of rapport with heroin. I don't know. Certainly not with meth. Well, you're not going to
1: get it like in that. You know, they allow you to smoke crack, but uh, you can get I, it I, with
0: crack. You just can't. I'm not sure you get it with meth.
1: Well, well, not when they're actually within the crack state. No, you're not gonna, right. You're, you're not going to it. Yeah, it's over. And especially when they're in the heroin state. What, what was
0: your drug of choice?
1: I had many. <laughs> yeah, I was actually into. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it it kind of depends, you know. I, I was uh, alcohol, weed, and then uh you know early on in the 80s we had the coaloos the queloods yeah. I was all into that the yeah. acid the coke and so i i i did a whole run with a bunch of drugs did you get into opiates I did. I was actually in the uh, New Orleans. It became flooded with the uh, pill mills, and, uh-huh, of course. and uh, I know you're very familiar with that. Oh, yeah. It was like the pain of the fifth vital sign, oh, and yeah. so people uh, could just go to a doctor, and then yeah. you, and then some doctors kind of franchise themselves. Yeah. So, and the, the deal was, you can get 90 pain medicines you pick, 90 benzodiazepines, and, and 90 soma of, of your choice. Yeah. Right okay, and just
0: say I have a back pain and neck pain that's yeah it you're
1: in. yeah you're in and then you could uh hire guys to go to the doctor for mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. so the, the the area became flooded with these pharmaceutical medicines right mm-hmm. so this that that actually set the groundwork for what we 're dealing with now in the opioid crisis absolutely
0: because then when the, when uh, I was actually you were in, working in the White House when they put an end to this. It was actually Jeff Sessions that really did the work to get this thing to come to an end, it seemed right. to me. And when it came to an end, then doctors got scared, which is how we ended up with the problem in the first place. They scared doctors by treating pain, that they had undertreated pain and that they would go to jail if they didn't treat the pain more aggressively. That was in the 90s. And then we said, okay, you're going to go to jail if you treat them at all too much with the oral opiates. So they, the doctor stood back and went, oh, my God, these are all drug addicts. You're bad patients. Get out of here. Well, you tell a drug addict who's on – you have strung out on opiates to get out of here. They are going to the street. They're going to get heroin. That's where it's going. And that's where it went.
1: Well, well definitely. And then you had like an, an influx coming in from – Did you
0: end up with, on heroin because of that?
1: Uh, I, uh, ended up, it's kind of weird. I thought I was going to slow down my use and just do pills, <laughs> right? I, but I had done a bunch of the other, uh, uh, you know, injecting and all that yeah. kind of stuff. I mean, I got stories. Uh, was
0: meth ever part of your deal? Uh,
1: a little bit. Yeah. Uh, not I, big. But, uh, I did. I was actually, uh, into the uh, cocaine. Of course, I did meth more than, you know, a, a number of times. Uh, so, but I, I did like, Everything and sometimes I I can't even uh, uh, say how many different sort of drugs and that's kind of where I think a lot of people also misunderstand the disease where people actually are getting addicted to the state of intoxication and that's why you know now now they want to study poly but poly is just basically poly substance Uh, well
0: it's one of my concerns about medically assisted treatment is that they don't realize the patients are doing all kinds of other shit on top of it
1: they don't even want to recognize it care yeah what I'll say the federal government actually understands, if I had to say this, they understand the mechanics of addiction, right? That's where opioids kind of throws them a little bit off. Like you could take methadone and sort of try to uh, manage, uh, not going into withdrawal and then, or, or, and not getting like too high off of it. Mm-hmm. So they understand, okay, I need heroin. If not, I'm going to go in withdrawals. I call that sort of like the mechanics of it. But mm-hmm. what they don't get is what you're actually sort of talking to. They don't really look at it from a bio-psycho-social type of uh, model. They don't get the psychology of, uh, of uh, with somebody with a severe substance use disorder. They don't get that of them. Yeah. And they don't always get the uh, environmental, social aspects of it too much. They understand I can treat withdrawal symptoms. Yeah,
0: which is such the tiniest part of addiction. The withdrawal is like nothing. It's just nothing. No. I, and we didn't have Suboxone. We didn't use methadone. Yeah, I got sober it. before Suboxone. Yeah, and no one. I n- were, hear the falling. The falling words never came out of my mouth. How we? What are we going to do with these opiates? How are we going to detox them? We never had any trouble detoxing them ever. We knew what to do. We had a protocol. We could do it. They were out in three to five days, and that was it. Never did I say oh, we got to come up with a better detox. Now, to be fair. Suboxone allows you to do it as an outpatient so it's less expensive and more accessible and things like that. That I agree. That's an important thing. But the problem is they end up leaving people on these things indefinitely. And the people that do so don't understand addiction. And here's the number one complaint from caretakers that that, tri- that that tip me off they don't understand addiction. They They find out the other – that the patient is not just doing the opiate; they're doing a bunch of other drugs. Like, let's say, if somebody has suboxone, and they find out, oh my god, they're doing cocaine and alcohol, their response is to get angry. <laughs> And how dare you lie to me? It's like, what? <laughs> how dare you lie to me? That's Lying is a feature of this disorder. <laughs> and if you don't expect your patients to lie to you and try to sort out what's lying and what isn't and anticipate the lying, you don't know what the fuck you're doing. Right. It's like if you say – if you get angry – it's like getting angry with somebody with an infection for getting a fever. It's the same thing. right? It's like this is a feature, not a glitch in the disease. It's, a, it's, a, it's universally present. you ever met a drug guy that didn't lie? Right. Especially to doctors and things. Are you kidding? But and then I'll hear shit like, oh, my patients have such a trusting relationship. We, we understand each other. are like, yeah, 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 you do. And they will lie to you. Because they they don't know even anymore when they're lying.
1: Well, I they get so so I, yeah. When I was in the that. federal government, I had a hard time trying to sort of uh, convincing people to actually see that they didn't understand. I've been to uh, a number of like high level experts uh, on on the panels, and they were saying like if somebody's uh, the reason they want more suboxone, you have to give them more like that. It's because they're in help and they're really desperate for treatment. And I want to say. Uh, no, it's not <laughs> no. what's going on.
0: No. They're, yeah.
1: they're slinging it, they're trading it, they're using, they're abusing it and okay. every, everything else. They trade it for okay. real drugs. There's a market value to that. Uh, and they don't get that. And then they keep trying to like pull down the barriers. And I, I, I think it could be like a marvelous tool, like you said, but I, you know. It's uh, gotta be they, in the
0: hands of people who understand the illness. Again, it's like, if you don't, if the people treating don't understand the illness, I don't understand how we expect good outcomes. I, I
1: well, I don't I, think they get the psychology aspect of it, how they actually sort of the n- wiring of the brain, n-
0: neurobehavioral. I sort of right. think about. It. Yeah, but but it's weird that it's so. F- it's so weird to me that people are in camps, like, are you the only replacement or only this or only that or only absent. It's Like, no, we select. Here's the part, the other part that's being missed. In addition to not understanding the disease, the other thing is selecting the correct treatment for the specific needs of the correct patient, the right treatment for the right patient. In other words, if we had put you on replacement therapy, my guess is you'd be dead now. Yeah, probably. Yeah, luckily <laughs> you needed, <laughs> Likely and,
1: he wasn't around. Man. That's right.
0: You needed abstinence-based, thorough, stepwise, yeah, comprehensive, yeah, yeah. ongoing. How, how long were you treatment before? How many times?
1: Well, I, I actually got sober, I got sober at 36 and then I stayed sober, but I, I did the whole gambit. I was like a peer before they, a professionalized peer more So you, like so a,
0: you were in, tre- in, the, in, treatment for years probably.
1: Well, at least, uh, if you want to call it that, I, I including got. Including
0: the, including participating in the alumni piece.
1: Yeah, I, I, pr- probably, uh, at least a year. I didn't, I didn't go back to New Orleans for two years. Yeah. So I lived in an Oxford house. I did the, I, I did the, uh, kind of the whole nine and I struggled, uh, Mightily in my early recovery, but I, I didn't. I hung out with people who were still getting high, but I didn't get high. Oh boy, so it took it took lucky. me a while. You know, you're still kind of hanging out with that antisocial sort of sect because that's what you're used to. Why do people
0: do that with this disease? What do you think that is?
1: it's it's it goes with uh habit and comf- comfort right comfort. so yeah you're sort of used to being with that like i hung out with some pretty uh, shysterous sort of people a little bit in early recovery because they're they're there uh the other piece they never talk about is the level of uh sort of personality stuff that shows up in a treatment center so, that they so,
0: so i want i want to drill on that a little bit because people don't talk about that is um part of it is that the the sort of normative existence, the non, it's called criminal, right, is boring.
1: Well, you, uh, you think, yeah, thanks for saying that. Nobody, uh, I, I even think I wrote about that. But they don't get the boredom piece either. Yeah. These guys are bored. You know what they're going to do? Yeah. So <laughs> it's boredom, and,
0: and and in a weird way, for a drug addict, boredom is the precursor to depression. Yeah. And so it's it's a very uncomfortable feeling for drug addicts. But it's it's not exciting. It's not, and and sort of excitement is is. Part of what's going on with addiction, both the social excitement of living on the edge or whatever that is. Yeah, that's true. That's a big piece of that, and the getting high, and so you you both are all kind of tied together and it's the the social part is one of the ones that people have trouble letting go of and it's not just the excitement it's also there's an identity associated with that like somebody, 100% yeah you had
1: clients status before. you, <laughs> had, you <laughs> know,
0: yeah. <laughs> and, but there's status and identity with that right and it's cool and it's like you know I'm a rock and roll man it's how to right, live, right, live right. Right. And edge, right and all of a sudden man. you gotta have I'm, that humility
1: my, piece and that's gonna take a minute boring Ooh, the, the, yeah yeah. <laughs> uh, the, who I'm, I'm Jack Kerouac <laughs> man I'm, right I mean those yeah, were, your, yeah. were those your you, idols you, that's, you, get a, you get a lot lot of that kind of yeah. coming in that's what i'm saying yeah. they show up precontemplative a lot yeah. when they yeah. kind of come to treatment they don't yeah. they don't people i i to think that they show up in an action phase is so uh, somebody who's uh,
0: well they do when they nearly died Sometimes they come up with some some intention at that point. The like moments of clarity, you, know, but, they, I, you can treat, when people have real moments of clarity, they're much more workable than if they're sort of in that contemplation.
1: Well, yeah, if you can get them in yeah. moments well, of clarity, so dangerous.
0: It's dangerous. Those are dangerous moments. They, right. they nearly die usually in those. Right. So I don't, I don't encourage those, but I know when I've. Somebody comes in after something like that, they're more workable.
1: That's and they, they are, and you got to kind of work on frustration tolerance because uh, make sure that uh, – I, I didn't say Johnny Do-Right, but the guy in the action phase, and then he gets the Dear John letter or, or something bad sort of happens, and then they can sort of unravel. Uh, the thing they don't get, like when you do take drugs away from somebody, they're going to be on an emotional roller coaster at mm-hmm. first. So that's why I think the stages are more fluid than actually textbook like the- stages of recovery. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, that's know. why you
0: need to stay in a structured environment because shit goes down.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Zocdoc is a free app that shows you physicians who are patient reviewed take your insurance, and are available when you need them. That's right. People, I think we all know it's difficult to find a doctor when you need them that's covered by your insurance that other people are happy with. You get reviews there, too. You can read up on physicians, get verified patient reviews, and see what others really think about what they have to say about the doctor. So when you walk in, you know what you're walking into. Go to ZocDoc.com. Choose a time slot and whether you want to see the doctor in person or have a video visit. And just like that, you are booked. Find the physician that is right for you. Book an appointment that works for your schedule. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc, and I've talked to those and I've spoken to users, and they seem very happy with ZocDoc and the physicians that they provide. In this really difficult to navigate world of healthcare, ZocDoc can be your trusted guide to find a quality physician in a way that is surprisingly pain free, and with ZocDocs, you get your docs all in a row. Uh Go to ZocDoc.com slash Drew and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then start your search for a top-rated physician today. Many are available within 24 hours. That is ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C, .com slash Drew, ZocDoc.com slash Drew. Don't forget our friend at Jordan Harbinger. That's right. I've talked about Jordan quite a bit. He's an interesting guy. He's got an interesting podcast, of course, but he himself is an amazing dude. He's got he's got a, he's a parenting experience. He's been held ha- hostage. He speaks multiple languages. He's been all over the world. He has a law degree. Each episode is a conversation with a different, fascinating guest. For instance, an FBI negotiator who offers techniques on how to get people to like and trust you. The story of a cinematographer who discovered a lost city in the jungle and made one of the most important archaeological finds of the century. Jordan is always focused on pulling useful, practical insights, information you can use. It's not pop psychology. I enjoy Jordan. You will. There's no doubt in my mind. There, it covers such a wide range of topics, weekly interviews, heavy-hitting guests. It is The Jordan Harbinger Show. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show, H-A-R-B is in boy, I-N is in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It is our friend Jordan Harbinger and The Jordan Harbinger Show. You know, there's a dirty little secret in treatment. Uh, John Kelly, the head of uh, Harvard's addiction program, had a study that showed it took, I think, it, I'm getting, it's either five treatments in four years or four treatments in five years. I think it's four treatments in five years on average to get one year of sobriety for an alcoholic. Four treatments in five years on well, that's average. That's a lot. I mean, on average well, in his study. And the point is people like you... When you said you got sober the first time, I'm like, oh, well, you must have stayed in treatment for a very long period of time because that's the only way that happens.
1: Well, I I got the benefit of living like in a recovery area too. Just Uh, saying. It's just –
0: you don't get get it on – Attempt one. Typically,
1: you just don't. No, no you don't. I, I'm I'm kind of rare that way. Yeah. And I, I worked at a. Unless facility. you stay in treatment.
0: Steve O's the other. So we treated Steve O years ago, and uh, and you know Steve O from Jackass, and he he was the same thing. He he always told me he goes, when I get sober, I'm going to really do it. And I go, all right, man, but don't die in the meantime. And then he got psychotic, and all kinds of stuff happened to him. And when he got in treatment, he just stayed for three years.
1: Wow. First two Congratulations. years. Congratulations. That's awesome. Great. Yeah,
0: and he's just this wonderful recovering guy. Oh my god, his recovery is fantastic. And it's always better. It's always better in recovery.
1: Well, I always used to kind of tell my guys it's uh, it's easier to live in recovery than manage an addictive lifestyle, Mm -hmm. right? They don't get that. But that drama piece you were just citing earlier, it it really looms large in there, right? And so, like, I don't know if everybody wants to talk about steps, but – the step one, uh, I always thought of, dealt with the drugs and the alcohol, and then step mm-hmm. two, restore of sanity, it was all about the lifestyle, mm-hmm. right? That insane lifestyle that people love—they climb onto it. It's uh, very exciting, very, uh, you know, That's the enamoring. streets.
0: That's why they go to the streets, right? It's what the—it's who's in the street. That's what they're doing.
1: And there's a rush to like going in and copying and getting in and out of that sort of stuff, like with cocaine. Sometimes a very Best part of it is before you actually do it, right? I mean, it's that same sort of, uh, sort of rush sensation of the streets, the lifestyle and that. Uh, you know, and it's also p- people don't get is like they want to use a lot of times before they actually die. It's kind of like. Get right as close to the edge as I could possibly get without dying and then kind of trying to come back. And that sort of that's what it is. That's
0: something no one ever talks about, too, this, this flirting with death. Yeah. I right. think there's a, not everyone, but a certain, certain subset of drug addicts get high from sort of Like, I don't, I don't know whether a better word than like. They certainly get off on or get right. high from yeah. literally flirting with death.
1: Exactly, and that's what they don't sort of. I like uh, what you were saying. I would have guys like you said, multiple treatments, mm-hmm. five overdoses, ten overdoses. I had guys with twenty treatments before. Now they could get they got sober, mm-hmm. you know. But it, it, it's so
0: my uh, my dearest colleagues had twenty treatments.
1: Yeah, plus. right. You know, so uh, you know, so there, there's a lot of that. So, But that's where I kind of, like in my organization, RAMP, what we're really trying to do is build a lot of the back door. I call it the recovery supports, the sober living. I'm a very big advocate. Very I made important. my clients, so clients go with after that. the initial treatment is yeah, more important Yeah, it actually, you know, and our slogan is treatment's not the end point. It's kind of like yeah. the beginning. And I used to tell my clients, the rubber's going to hit the road when you mm-hmm. leave here. And then what yeah, are you yeah. going to do sort of when you leave here? Oh, yeah. And so you want to really set them up the best you can for success, whether it's with vocational and uh, educational. I actually. Actually, like uh, uh, I was pretty wanting my guys to get a job. It didn't have to be fancy or anything, but like right after uh, sort of treatment in the halfway house, go out there and get a job. Now they could go to school too, but I actually think there's a lot of lessons learned from uh, actually how to show up on time, how to be accountable. You know, the, like the soft skills. Like
0: that—that's another piece that we've completely left out in the treatment of the homeless. They have to have that. They're not going to be. But but here's the thing: I, I uh, when I ran a treatment center. Uh, I was just not interested in replacement therapies. I mean, I I don't judge. If people want to do replacement therapies, okay, for the right patient, I hope, but okay. Um, But I ran an abstinence-only program. And I would not allow benzodiazepines or opiates of any type on my unit. Just wouldn't allow it because as soon as as soon as any patient became aware that that was even in the medicine, the nurse's medicine yeah, cabinet, yeah, whole well, right. fucking unit would come apart. People start spinning and uh, preoccupying. Well, the whole and the
1: whole dramatic. thing. They're yeah. all in and out of the tech yeah. office. Because yeah. They know yeah. there's something in yes. there that could actually uh, get me. They high. go nuts. Uh, yeah, they they it's go it's nuts. a distraction. Yeah. Okay, you they have start two guys with each other. They yeah. start doing stuff. Let's say you got two or three guys on replacement therapy, and yeah. everybody else is sort you of sober. They're in group, and one guy, and they all know that guy. Yeah, nodding out on shit. Well, it. how come he gets to be no, on right. that?
0: That's right. They get jealous. They get jealous. Yeah. That's right. You can't do. I can't do that. So I just said, look, fine, you will get replacement therapy. We'll do it in this part of the hospital. I don't judge. Do, whatever. But I'm not interested in that. I, and I guarantee you, had you all who are listening met Art Kleinschmidt, uh, when, was your, when were your highest, worst in your disease? 30, 20, 20 years ago?
1: Uh, yeah, I, uh, I actually crashed on the so, uh, pain medicine. So it was 20 years really ago. Bad. If
0: you'd met Art Kleinschmidt 20 years ago, you would not like to hang out with him. My, <laughs> my, suspicion would be, my suspicion would be that you would be pretty tough to hang out with. Yeah, uh, w- Were you that kind of drag addict or were you the more slick kind? Were you like sort of – Maneuver, so. Well, I,
1: I, I actually became sort of, uh, I don't want to say incapacitated, but it, yeah. it was, it was pretty yeah. bad. Yeah, so I me,
0: would, me sitting with you and talking would have been sort of unpleasant, right? Yeah, I used
1: yeah. to, yeah, I used to have to stay away from my mom's house and they would get sort of <laughs> mad at me and stuff, so I had to do that. And I was running with, uh, you know, I'm from New Orleans, so I was running with, with, that particular crew that was doing that And then hanging out at a flop house I guess you could call it a crack house sort of If you wanted drugs you could go there and get it If you wanted to do drugs you could go there And if you wanted to sell you could go there yeah. So oh, that was so like my we, that, we
0: just call that San Francisco <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so, It's true that's it's like. yeah. And so yeah And so good on you uh, But now we have a different person that's, So I, got, I saw real recoveries happen And it was like whoa I want to help people do that So that's what I became interested in So It doesn't mean I'm judging other alternatives of treatments, I'm just interested in the people that should be selected for full recovery and who are interested in full recovery. That's the that's the stuff I'm interested in, in bringing people to a fully flourishing, thriving life. And,
1: uh, well, that's what our organization is. Correct. About, yeah. That's
0: why I bring that up. Recovery for America is about that. Right. Uh, and, and sometimes it may include somebody getting some sort of replacement therapy to get them enrolled. But once enrolled, we're interested in getting them through the process to thriving. Now, if somebody is chronically brain injured, schizophrenic, no family, no motivation, uh, with tuberculosis, uh, please give that guy replacement therapy. Let's get him off the streets. Let's put him on Suboxone. Let's get him stabilized. Let's deal with all of that other stuff before we try to you know, deal with a full recovery here because we have many, many other things that are in the way. A brain injury, schizophrenia, all these things make it really difficult for somebody to right. recover. But for Art Kleinschmidt in the Flop House in New Orleans, Bob Forrest, uh, who else we got in recovery in our life? Uh, Gary, around here. Anybody the, the Corolla faithful would know? Jason Waller. Jason Waller. And we had lots of people that were just these extraordinary people now because they found recovery. My daughter is now recovering. Yeah, that's right. Congratulations. Yep. And Congratulations. it's just a, a, a phenomenal change. Phenomenal.
1: Right. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, uh, you know, when you do sort of work with them, you'll find a lot of them have inherent skills, uh, and, and sort of a lot of talents. And you look at addiction as a thief that sort of steals that from yep, somebody. That's right. And so when you get them into recovery, they can actually start to blossom, uh, and sort of move forward. Sometimes even find things they didn't even know they could do and possibly do.
0: Well, I would say that when I, when I, as, now that I'm close to it, watching my daughter go through it, the the other thing that I I guess I intuitively kind of knew, but I've explicitly now experienced, is this idea of Reintegrating the self. I mean, for me in my, in my psychological recovery, in my therapy, I had to do a lot of that kind of work. But in recovery, it's really dramatic where people, they had, oftentimes addicts have sort of disavowed parts of themselves or parts of their life. And it's bringing it all back in and being that whole person again that, you know, let's say you were a, I don't know. You played the guitar when you're a kid. Yeah, like, right. Fuck that. That's my dad made me play the guitar. Yeah. I'm never going to see a guitar again. And then in recovery, you go, wait a minute. I was pretty good at the guitar. Why, why well, well I you'll play see that,
1: again? that. Like I worked long-term uh, treatment, but they had a, a piano and they had a couple, a couple of guitars. And you'll see people kind of going back to that, yeah. especially sort of like the artwork and that. So yes, you would it's see re-
0: it's bringing parts of themselves, real things, real skills, real talents that they had just either disavowed or left behind. And bringing that back together as a whole person. It's really something to behold.
1: Uh, I I think it is. It's, uh, I, I made it my life's work after, uh, seeing that, uh, and witnessing that with my very eyes. It's amazing.
0: Uh, It's something something else to witness, right? And it's, and it's, um, hard to predict who's going to really do it. You think you can predict, but you you, can't. can't. That's the other sort
1: of a thing. They always say, Oh, this, you need people who really want it, but, uh, actually uh, somebody can get the treatment and then their eyes can open up mm-hmm. uh, and that's actually like even somebody from sometimes somebody from penitentiary is like way more grateful to be in rehab and yeah. they actually start getting this language and manner style they never knew that could possibly that even existed much mm-hmm. less they could do it so that sometimes is like uh, a valuable guy to have on the unit right oh, so yeah. you know so that uh, so you never know exactly who's going to blossom and who's not you just kind of keep uh, working with them and I like what you said a while back uh, I don't know when, about the appropriateness of level so matching trying to match the patient know. to the treatment exactly yeah. and that, that kinda comes from the we assessment do that, we,
0: do, we do that in all areas of
1: medicine that's, right. a, that's
0: basic medical practice and somehow in this area people have decided oh no it's political or it's I, camps or what it,
1: it's, it's weird that uh, a polit- p- political uh, element has sh- kind of came some in here
0: some medical problems and no doctors are involved in the tr- in the policy setting. That's the part that drives me crazy. It's like we're running a hospital on our streets, and I'm sorry, no doctors allowed. And, th- and six are going to die a day. If if we're a doctor-run program in that hospital and six were dying every day, are you kidding? There'd be people in jail.
1: Well, like, I, I could look at that, and I saw, like, I think this was in New York City or New York State or whatever, but uh, one of their safe injection sites is, like, Applauding themselves in their first number of months, they reverse like fifty something overdoses, but but you know when right. I step back and look at that, that's high.
0: I know it's a lot. It's like, that, that's a like
1: lot. they're they're congratulating themselves on that, but uh, that's very high. So when you, you were talking about like the administration and that, obviously, who's administrating those doses that they actually got a Narcan fifty people back to life?
0: Yeah, well, and not only that, and 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 now what? <laughs> what are you going to do but, with but, those? 50? Yeah.
1: Right. Right. They, they got to lose again. Yeah. They they. Most assuredly will. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, people don't understand the uh, uh, vacantness of somebody attaching overdoses to their actual lifestyle that they might actually die isn't as uh, black and white as they think. It's not as linear as, as they assume. They could be absolutely overdosed five times and still be Assured that they don't really have a problem.
0: (laughs) Right. They'd be thinking that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Gary, if you remember Mike Catherwood, he overdosed like 15 times or something. That was was, was the other name I was thinking about as soon as I closed my mic. Yeah. He he was in – he died multiple times uh, and – his bottom actually wasn't until he was just sitting in a hotel room and just sort of all of a sudden just made the call. Yeah, you know, right. the near death experience. Yeah, yeah. It's and funny. It,
1: so there's no there's no linear process to yeah, this. Yeah. But I think they kind of have. That's why I said the mechanics of it. They can understand the mechanics, especially with like I actually. This is just a theory of mine, but I think methadone kind of threw him off a little bit. I th- I think they think they can control it all in a similar vein uh, sort of with the methadone. Yeah, you yeah. Know?
0: Uh, yeah. methadone – well, it, it's so uh, weirdly axiomatic to them. So I talked to Dr. Dole who invented the methadone program. And, okay. And he – When was that? was that? The 60s. Okay. Uh, and he his thing was – there was denial about homelessness then being associated with heroin. And he went out and he looked and he goes, what are these people doing in the streets? And he went, oh, they're all heroin addicts. We need to help them with something. He developed methanol. He never, ever intended to be the sole treatment. He in- intended it a way to stabilize them and get them off the heroin, much the way you hear – that's what Suboxone originally was too, right. even though now it becomes replacement therapy, whatever. Um So he had grave misgivings about the program as it was uh, deployed. But there's this weird axiomatic sort of uh, thinking in, in policymakers, which is, well, they're using a drug and they overdose, and the drug is unsafe. We need to come up with a pharmaceutical treatment for this drug problem. It's all. I mean, there will never be an, a, a non-addictive opiate, although, although Suboxone has lots of use. I, I don't want to vilify Suboxone. Well, you mentioned
1: it for yeah. uh, chronic pain, yeah. and it could it's be really could, good.
0: I didn't mention it today. Funny you would bring that did up. You you I, did you spring it today? But I often do mention. Well, no, I heard you say so, it. I, I think so when you're
1: interviewing Randy or something. Oh, probably, maybe yeah, I did. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but I heard you say it before, and I knew somebody else. So you know, like it's, chronic it's, pain, it could probably be great for it that. is great for that yeah. it's
0: like because this that, that's a complicated situation that person is probably never going to restore thriving life because they're in such bad pain and so you have to deal with the pain and the addiction and that requires a specialized intervention and yeah i've seen really decent results with suboxone way better than opiates that's for sure other opiates um, so the point is there's things we can do if we are skillful in how we do them
1: well you got to understand. Uh, and I, I, you know, you could try to teach people, but if they haven't done it, they haven't done it. But uh, the guy who shows up, like, look, say, the addict, whoever shows up, and the doctor wants to give him suboxone in that, yeah. they're not the same patient who's showing up to get his arm fixed. They're not the same patient That's that right. showed up to get a root canal. That's right. They, uh, they're going to have all kinds of different ulterior motives. You don't mm-hmm. know what they're up to. Just like you said, they're going to lie to you. They're going to do whatever it is. They're going to can but, you. But if
0: you're really skillful, You can kind of figure that stuff out. If you consider that your job to figure out what's going on here, you kind of figure it out oftentimes. And then it becomes funny to me. Then the humor comes in it's like, dude, what are you trying – (laughs) come on. (laughs) Who are you talking to? And then then they'll laugh with you. They will actually cop to it when you use humor. Unless they're really strong out, and really in, in need at that moment. But usually they'll they'll just go, Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. you got me. And, yeah. and then you can say and they feel kinda of understood in that moment and you could say, Come on, are we gonna do something about this or not? We we right. can not you can't go on like this, right. right? Yeah. That's developing the contemplation that they need to go towards recovery. Yeah, so so let's spend the last few minutes talking about recovery for America. What, what do you want people to do? How can they help? Well, what we, are we I, about?
1: I, I, you know, I'm going to be uh, have another meeting uh, tomorrow. I'm out here. I'll be meeting with the pharmaceutical company, uh, but we're looking for contributions that we can actually help. Uh, and the
0: idea is, that sort of, we'll be creating. Uh, sponsorships or, or – um,
1: Yeah, yeah. We'll be creating a scholarship system for people in need to I, actually I, how get How do services. you apply
0: for them? How do you get them? How do you know who we're going to give them to and not? Well,
1: we're working with uh, some number of treatment centers in a way like uh, the treatment centers but we're working with. you may working.
0: have too many requests. What do we do then? We have to sort of prioritize somehow?
1: We, yeah, we will. We, we have a cli- criteria and okay. it's going to have to be – there's like a clinical sort of criteria okay. that we'll be working on. The it. sad
0: part is we're probably going to end up when 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 things really start to flow – Because the need is so massive. The sad part is we're probably going to be prioritizing motivated people.
1: Well, at at some point you will have to be. Uh, There's no uh, probably way to get around that.
0: Well, and to some extent that's selecting the right patient for the right treatment. To some extent, it's sad, but that's part of selecting the right patient who's really motivated to do it.
1: And that's why, I mean, I couldn't all just do that myself, so that's why yeah. I'm working with select treatment centers that I, yeah. that I know yeah. do that kind of work to yeah. decide, you know, who's appropriate, appropriate level of care. Yeah. That's where a little bit, like I, they kind of got mad at a little bit, but the they, ASAM. They, they kind of Well, I used to get into it a lot of times with the Fed policymakers when mm-hmm. I was in government, even mm-hmm. in the White House and that, but, uh, you know, like, you know, they kept saying they're really big into ASAM criteria. Now, I think I was,
0: I was around when the ASAM, that's the American Society of Addiction Medicine. I was around when the ASM criteria got invented, and they were ugh, they were awful. Most of the time, they they were useful eventually, but most of the time, just ridiculous and awful and arbitrary. And well, well, it's so arbitrary, and, and I'm
1: trying to in yeah. people they would really push back on me. But like you know, they they did a great job distincting the levels of care. Yeah, but I they, think, they had I, to
0: come. I understand they had to come up with some.
1: Right, but yeah. but the way it sort of works in reality, uh, like you just said, arbitrary. Yeah. You could. If you a treatment center wanted to, they could fit anybody into their, uh Correct. Whether it's appropriate or not, yes. and then that's what I was trying to explain to them, and they're saying, "Well, ASAM is going to do a training." I, okay, do you understand that that <laughs> that doesn't matter? By uh, the
0: way, then the patients get into it, and then they start manipulating to go into certain levels of care. Because well, they, exactly. they, they, they yeah, addicts yeah, are yeah, geniuses yeah. when it comes to learning <laughs> systems, you know, and so they learn exactly what they need to do and say to get to the level of care they want. Yeah.
1: Especially like you said, they've been through yeah. three or four of uh, them already. Oh, well, it takes oh, a couple, really, oh, yeah, they get yeah, it. yeah, and they, yeah. They don't yeah, – yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, they could uh, – sometimes they're way more savvy than the clinicians. So I try to tell that – the I lady yelled at me one time at SAMHSA when I, I was – she was the, saying something – yeah, Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration. I, I started off as a senior advisor there, then I became deputy uh, – uh, drugs yeah. are. Yeah. But uh, when I, I sort of tell her, go to an inner city Narcotics Anonymous meeting, and I guarantee you all those people sitting in there are more savvy than anybody in this building 100%. right now. And then, oh, how dare knowledge? you? How
0: dare you? That's the <laughs> case. I mean, they're they're in survival mode, literally. Right. Yeah. And yeah. that's part of what's going on in addiction. They take over the survivor, survival system. And so as such, they become cunning
1: <laughs> yeah. motivated,
0: brilliant, skilled, skilled. <laughs> they do whatever. You're just practicing medicine. It's hard enough, but you're not at the level of motivation that they are. Yeah.
1: So uh, yeah, that needs to be sort of accounted for. And that's, uh, that's kind of a little bit, I think ACM did a great job classifying, but that doesn't really, it didn't do anything as it, far.
0: It's, it's here, Here's what people need to know. It's still an evolving discipline. And and that's the reality. And so, to pretend that it's something thus saith the Lord yeah. is missing the point. It's us trying to come up with an, uh, an operational system for these things that are fluid. And I get that. That's the way bureaucracies work, and that's right. kind of the way medicine works. And so, but it's not the way humans work. And to to be so arbitrary and so uh, holy about it, just just whenever whenever cl- cl- medical people have a holy mission. Or are holier than thou. Holy. When that word holy gets involved in their, their, what they're doing, turn, get out. Get go, Turn away. Yeah. Dis- disasters will happen. Because that was the pain management credo in the 90s. We have a holy mission to eliminate pain in America. Great job. Now 90% of the Vicodin just prescribed in the world by 2010 was prescribed in the United States. Because we yeah. have more pain here?
1: Yeah. You know, I uh- – when I when I was first at SAMHSA, I, you know, the, a lot with their uh, peer reviewed articles, I used to go and find the old ones, right? And you could find a number of them that all backed up pain is the fifth vital sign. Oh, of course, and it's evidence shows clearly that this is a great thing to of do, course. best intervention ever. We need yeah. to do more of it. Yeah. So now that those are actually harder to find on the internet now, they're oh, almost they've taken them down. Well, it it you got to do more searching. Uh, they, uh, they, they they almost kind of, I, I don't want to say they buried it, but it used to be a lot easier to find. You got to uh,
0: come up with the. We used to use this thing called the Index Medicus. Okay, you got to find an old Index Medicus, and it'll all be all there. Right, yeah. and so that
1: like I mean, they, a lot of times when they say evidence supports this, the evidence clearly shows. I you know I would look back to that. Well, you had great evidence for that, and you actually created the opioid crisis right. with it.
0: Uh, I will I will uh, refer you to case number two. COVID and lockdowns and masking and craziness with the evidence, that the evidence was never there, uh, and now people are still believing in the evidence? It's the same idea. Same yeah, it's happened. the same thing. I actually the give thing. a lecture where I compare our COVID response to our uh, pain management crisis. Oh, really? Oh, it's the same exact thinking, same exact people, which I find kind of weird.
1: And like you said, you got in trouble pushing back on the pain that's a vital sign, didn't oh,
0: you? Oh, my God. My, I, it's so interesting. I'd really not thought about this piece. But I was pushing back on the panic around COVID the way I pushed back on pain as the fifth vital sign. I kept saying, This is insane. This is wrong. My patients are dying. What are you talking about? You're opiophobic, was I was told? Yeah. You're an opiophobe and you're old fashioned. You're a dinosaur. You're interested in human suffering. What?
1: <laughs> right. And it's what? a lot of the same. It, it just kind of repeats, you know? Yes, like it you does. wouldn't, you know, have cigarettes, a safe uh, cigarette smoking, uh, Thing, But they would do it like with fentanyl and that. So uh, that, that's bizarre. But uh, and like you said, the holy, the, it's like a religion. The COVID yeah, stuff, religion. became it became like a religion whenever too. Whenever it's
0: holy, whenever it's religion, please everybody, just remember my words. If you never learned anything else from anything I've ever said, this idea of a position, a scientific, a clinical position, having holy motivation, either holy mission or holy purpose, whatever it is. Get the fuck out of there. Yeah. That, that is not medicine. That's not science anymore. I don't know what that is. I don't recognize it. No. But, but, it, but I recognize it when it comes at me, though. I see it. And I immediately want to look at alternative points of views, and I want to think about things, and I want to that, – that's why I started interviewing a lot of sort of alternative people in, in COVID. I was like, they're, they're being silenced, and everyone else is holier than thou. Something's up. Something is up here. Something's wrong. We, we got to find out reality. Reality is the goal in medicine. Reality on reality's terms is health, whether it's how you're approaching an infection – affecting illness or whether how you're approaching your life and thriving and and, uh, mental functioning – it's All based on reality, on reality's totally well, right, full understanding of reality.
1: Well, that, that's kind of why I've been kind of like writing like clinical reality versus what the experts are sort of that's saying. Exactly. Right? They're, they're not. Well, it's
0: interesting. I were in the same zone yeah, there. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. It's
1: it, in it. They're not the same. Uh, they're not the same. No. And
0: and I understand that objective evaluation is an attempt to categorize and to come up with deeper understandings. But it's not real. It's it's studies. It's, right. it's attempts at, at, at reflecting reality and responses to reality. But you you got to You have to read the all the landscape to understand it. And that's why when we come up, with you know, having been in addiction treatment since the mid '80s, right, um, I've seen so many things come and go. So many brilliant ideas. So many fads. And each one, w- once I went through about three cycles, I was like and one of the cycles was uh Asam and all their, you know yeah. they're going to solve everything uh and I was like okay now I now I'm standing back on everything i i know what i know right and let's see if we if if something is really enhancing i'll adapt i'll adopt it but it's never uh, thus saith the lord and it's never a revolution
1: well, a revolution
0: it, is a bad idea
1: yeah it's always like uh Almost like trendy, this is the trend now, this is the trend now, this is the trend now.
0: Correct. And I almost see it the way my peers, other physicians, like screw with language. Like they will actually screw with pronunciation of words because now we're putting our mark, our generation has figured it out. Okay. Okay. All right well. but
1: like a samsa a, a SAMHSA grant that th- this is the one that funded the crack pipes and everything It was yeah. like a harm reduction yeah uh, so they to to participate, you needed to have a panel for each person who was getting the money, and then you would have like an expert policy guy, maybe an expert whatever guy, and then they had one i don 't know if you ever heard this mm-hmm. it was p w u d mm-hmm. people who use drugs oh, who geez. needed to be on that panel as well. And I was, was kind of like – We're actively using Yeah, it? yeah. Oh, my God. People who use drugs because they had one in recovery and people who use drugs. Oh, my God. So really God. what they're doing is they're elevating uh, a disease to a, like normality. To ask, where them,
0: th- ask them if they when – they, when they have panels on schizophrenia, do they have somebody who's actively psychotic on the panel? Or do they have, if they're trying to deal with tuberculosis, do you have to have a TB patient who's in their disease and, ref- and refusing treatment on the panel? What the fuck
1: yeah that 's i I posted it to my uh website. I wrote a little blog about it oh, but uh boy. yeah and i i'm I, I think in their effort to destigmatize, which I understand. I actually wrote the op ed I ghost wrote it one for the uh drugs r and that but uh I understand uh uh, uh the motivation for it, and yeah. I understand yeah, me too. that but but They've gone to not de stigmatizing the person; mm-hmm. they're de stigmatizing the dangerous, self-destructive behavior. Mm-hmm. So you award somebody who's still high, giving him a seat at some kind of government panel. Uh, wow, I don't want to say disgusting, but it's, uh, it's problematic, it's, yeah, as
0: they say. Uh, well, I've got. We could talk all day about this stuff. I, uh, there was something else you triggered in my thing. Oh, oh, the, the which is that bureaucracies are. T- Terrible at practicing medicine. So this is what we saw with COVID, the centralization of decision-making. Yeah, you can't do that. We've done it. (laughs) And and that's, again, ASAM is centralization, and then everyone else just following protocols, algorithms. That is not medicine, and it doesn't uh, doesn't do well with that. And we are way into that
1: now in this country. Well, you know, the individual got lost in that, right? Well, the individual practitioner
0: and the individual, which is your best unit— a motivated, in, informed patient and a well-trained, caring physician. That's your best delivery system. Nothing more efficient than that. Anything you pile on top of that makes inefficiency and worse outcomes. And we've just piled and piled and piled
1: and piled. Uh, you know, so, yeah. So now, I mean, happen. the evidence sort of shows. Uh, I've written about it, too, the lockdowns and that from a mental health addiction standpoint. Oh, ridiculous. Yeah. Terrible.
0: And now they're starting to come up, cop with it. But, I, again, um, I have one piece of faith it's hard in the midst of this being so slow and evolving, but the my faith is that reality has a way of restoring itself. Reality comes in. And uh, you and I know the reality. Right. And we just do. We've been around it long enough. It's not it's not like we're I, I don't have to show evidence or right? anything. I've been around <laughs> it so much. <laughs> yeah. you know, we just know it. you've lived it yeah. and you've traded it. I've been around it for thirty-five years. It, I just just know it. It's in my bones. Yeah. And and it's not a it's not a bias. It's not a point of view. It's just this is what reality is. And it has a way of asserting itself. So hopefully Recovery for America will be there that's to a, That's uh, our respond. game plan. Yeah, yep. I just thank love, you for I love being, being a, a part, part of it. my privilege. Anything that helps drug addicts get better, I'm all for all, all
1: right. Awesome.
0: Because so, it is the problem of our time.
1: I think humbly, it is. Yeah. yeah,
0: humbly it is. And uh, people don't even understand how pervasive it is. It's massively pervasive. But they
1: also don't get, like I said, the generational pass down. Effect, yeah. yeah. That
0: and the fact yeah. that we need, and, and, and the, the, the recoveries are so glorious. It's a one to see
1: it 's amazing
0: it 's amazing yeah. so you you can now not everyone it 's not for everybody, but when you see him boy, it really motivates you to to help more get there so art Kleinschmidt, uh, recoveryforamerica.org. dot org where else do you want to send people anybody's your your uh, twitter or anything yeah
1: we have a twitter uh, rant uh, recovery for america now uh, foundation uh, dot org um, we have a website you could look up uh, you could google you know uh, i guess my name or whatever my wife was a drug court judge. She worked Katie at DOJ. Sullivan, yeah. Katie Sullivan. Um, judge we, the honorable yeah.
0: Katie Sullivan. Yeah, we Is have Is She a going drug back brother. to judging again or she still
1: She's uh, right now she she was working at a policy uh, 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 think tank I get that wasn't her yeah. That wasn't her bag. So now she's uh, back to doing law for like wh- uh, one guy. But so she's uh, practicing law again. Yeah. Good. So, th- but this is like the passion project that we're working on. And like well, we said, if, we, you can, if
0: you can come up with resources that are flexible for patients with addiction, I- even if it's limited resources, you have done something. So good for you. Keep going. Yep. That's uh, the game I'm, plan. I'm right behind you. Uh, people that want to claim that you're, uh, sh- you know. Uh, uh, what's the word that they would use? When if you were just, o- o- we are interested in recovery, and we're interested in people who are into recovery. We are not stigmatizing or marginalizing people who want something different. There's no, I, I of mean, treatments out there that are yeah, different. yeah, I'm. And fine. by the way, we'll include, we will include all kinds of medically yeah. assisted treatments and things like that. Well, I, I wrote
1: about that, you yeah. know, and I, I said, I mean, like you, you know, you and I talked. It could be a marvelous intervention. Yeah. I just like yeah. like destruction the and the therapeutic supports to the, the the go with it. The real yeah. treatment, yeah,
0: they're not just pretending that.
1: I'm not, you know, I'm not all about just... Throwing uh, pills, pills at somebody, yeah, because yeah. I, I, I know what that looks like. You described it. Uh, they'll get the pills in the morning, go get meth in the afternoon, or, or
0: even let's say they just stay on the pills and they're on high doses of it, and they're that's a that's a bit of a of a problem. They they, the, sho-
1: they showed up. I, I had a client that very same thing it was on strung out on for however long. So, yeah, and I mean, they want to get off, and they want to yeah, get better, yeah. and, and
0: good if that gets them motivated, if that gets them to that point, great, fantastic. But if you're just going to be just indefinitely kind of in limbo. That's fine, but we're – that's not I, – I, there are plenty of doctors out there that will do that and treat that. and They're, they're all over the place. That's not what we're going to do. We're
1: going to do something else. No, I wanted to see that miracle that you described. Yeah, we'd love that. Yeah. So,
0: all right. Art Schmidt, Recovery for America, everybody. We'll see you next time.
1: All right. Thank you.
0: Stream the biggest movies and TV shows for free on Pluto TV. Watch movies like Titanic and G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra,
1: plus TV shows like CSI and Star Trek The Next Generation. Starting this month, check out the 24-7 Stargate channel exclusively on Pluto TV,
0: plus hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and TV shows absolutely free. Download the free Pluto TV app on your favorite streaming device and start watching today.